welcome to episode 139 of the Various Sundry Podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man whose worlds are colliding, John Scott I struggle with worlds colliding, Matt. Yes, you like your nice, tidy little categories. I like my I like my world separate. <laughs> yes, independent John is is being threatened here. Uh, independent John's always being threatened <laughs> at some level. <laughs> yes, that is true. So, John, how was your weekend? Uh, good, good. Food truck Sunday. Yeah. First there was first there was a uh, uh, Christmas, then Easter Sunday, and now. Food truck Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a a big event at our church every. Yeah, you every, clearly looked uncomfortable with me categorizing food truck Sunday little bit. with Easter and a little Christmas. bit, a little bit. Um, so <laughs> every like end of August, beginning of September, we do one Sunday where we do an outside worship service, mm-hmm. and then we have do we have what five. Food trucks that were like the main course ones, four five or six, four or five. Okay, yeah, yeah. and then two dessert food mm-hmm. trucks, mm-hmm. and everybody who shows up uh, gets uh, a ticket for one meal at one of the entree trucks, and then one dessert at one of the dessert trucks. You know, I think next year we should do a live show at Food Truck <laughs> oh Sunday and invite a number of our listeners uh, to Food Truck Sunday. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think the um, I'm struggling to figure out how the logistics of that would work, but uh, it may not work because we have too many pastors that listen to <laughs> the program. Yeah. But you have a year, you know. Find yeah. find a guest preacher. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, just to be clear, we would not do it during the service. We would not replace the service. No, it would be no. Post worship service event. Yeah, yeah. Or pre pre conference. You know, it could be <laughs> could be pre conference. Start a live episode at 9 a.m.? That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, Coffee, donuts? I will have to take that up with the uh, with the pastoral leadership of our church. I, I'm pretty sure I could get him a box of Martin's muffins and <laughs> we'd be in the door. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. So uh, what did you get on uh, for your meal at Food Truck Sunday? Yeah. So I got uh, a chicken and waffle sandwich. So it was chicken with waffle – uh, buns and okay. uh, uh, covered in syrup and all sorts of stuff. It was it was fantastic, all right. delicious. What nice. did you get? So I got the bison cheeseburger. How I've, I don't think I've ever had a bison burger. It's good. It's good. I think my dad got that. Yeah. Did he like it? I yes. He he is an interesting food person because he's traveled so much. Right. That uh, he made a beeline for the bison food truck pretty quickly. Yeah, he was a few people behind us. In yeah, life. yeah, and uh, and I think he liked the bison burger. He was telling me about a burger that he used to get was that was a mix of beef and bison. Okay, like they would put the two ground beefs together. Yeah, and make a burger. Hmm. And I thought that sounded interesting. Yeah, yeah. So um, great event, um, and uh, we started a new series in the Book of Hebrews. Oh, so good. Yes, did the first four verses. Our pastor did a great job unpacking it. And you're preaching on Sunday? I am up next, yes. Okay. The rest of chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. Okay. Seven Old Testament citations in there. 
How many of those are you going to deeply unpack for us in the sermon? <laughs> deeply unpack? Deeply unpack. <laughs> None of them if we're going deeply. <laughs> um, Have you ever preached Hebrews, the, the whole first chapter except the first four? Have no, you ever preached this before? No. Have you preached in Hebrews before ever? Um, I feel like I've I've preached way, way back, not at CCC, on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Okay. But I think that might be it in terms of preaching out of Hebrews. Um, I've done some teach. I've done plenty of teaching out of it, out of bits and pieces of it. What's the go-to commentary on Hebrews for you? What do you? What do you? Well, um, I don't know if I have a go-to option. I mean, um, uh, Tom Schreiner just came out with one. Oh yeah, that's right. In the same series that my Galatians commentary is in. It's very good. Focused on biblical theology, which we'll circle back to that later in the show. Sure, teaser, sure. And great teaser. for Hebrews. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, so that's that's going to be key in looking at that. Um, and then other than that, there's there's, there's, a, there's other commentaries that I think they're good and helpful, but none that I'm like, oh, you have to get this. So um, – William Lane in the Word Biblical Commentary series is very okay. good, but that the formatting of that series is challenging to navigate sometimes. But I always think the cover of that series looks like a bad sweater. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Right? With the with the lines. Yeah. They they need to reboot that that design. Yeah. There's got to be a graphic designer out there who's graduated since 1995 <laughs> who could, who could redo the cover of that series. I think 95 is generous. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can find us on Twitter at VNSPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook. We are on YouTube. And we would love for you to leave us a five-star rating and a review on whatever platform you access the show. Do we ever have people complain about our opening riff? Um. I've not heard any I've, I've never heard that either, but I've heard of people complaining about opening riffs. And that might have been our longest. That might be up there. I saw something – I forget. Uh, I just saw it on Twitter today. Uh, it was as it was Jared C. Jared C. Wilson was talking – he was responding to a tweet that was basically like, we all know that, pe- that, that people don't like banter in podcasts. And he was like, well, actually if it's if – it's, Good banter and and like interesting and unpredictable and there's a chemistry between the the people bantering. It's yeah. good. So I I'm I'm hopeful that <laughs> hopeful that's what we're doing here. I, otherwise, I don't know. Hopefully, we can meet up. We can measure up to Jared C. Wilson's approval yeah. someday. Yeah, someday. All right, John. Let's talk sports. Um, did you catch any of your Jets uh, preseason game this, uh, this weekend? I, I followed it. I followed it. I didn't watch, but I, I followed it. I actually watched some of it. Did you? Did I you? Did. What was it on? Was it on ESPN or CBS? I want to say it might have been on NFL Network. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, I mean. Flacco had a pretty nasty interception. It was one of the worst I've seen. Like, yeah. if you remember last year, Carson Wentz threw a left-handed interception from his own goal line last year. Uh, it, it it had that vibe to it of that How? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, my interest in watching, of course, is to see how Garrett Wilson and yeah. uh, Jeremy Ruckert did. So I think both of them played fine. Um, I know in the last game, they mostly had held out their starters. So did Garrett Wilson 
He got some minutes. Yep. Did he? Had, had a catch or two in there. So, um, so that's my interest. Uh, but that's the final preseason game, right? I think they cut down the rosters today. Oh, do they? Well, today, as of when when this drops, I think it's so. What this will drop on a Tuesday? I think it's that's the cut from down to fifty three. An opening Sunday or opening Thursday is a week from Thursday. Is that right? Correct. The or is that the eighth? Yeah, it's the week after Labor Day. Always. Yes. And we're coming up on Labor Day. Yes, we are. Yes, we, we used are. to never get Labor Day off as a university, and yeah. so now it feels like ooh, this, this random day off in the, in, <laughs> yeah. at, at the front end of September is kind of nice. <laughs> seriously, seriously. Um, so why don't we wait till next week? For you to do your final Jets season prediction. Okay. Uh, the college football season did get underway sort of. There were a couple games, right? Yeah, we'll call it a soft launch. And um, uh, maybe the most noteworthy game was Nebraska playing Northwestern in Dublin, Ireland. Nice. And um, – you know Nebraska. So Scott Frost has been on the hot seat. A um, lot, lot of expectations that this year would be different, and they end up losing by uh, by three, I think, thirty-one twenty-eight. Um, but the 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 strange thing about that football game is, so I watched the first half, and Nebraska clearly looked like the better team, even though they were down three at the half. They just looked like they had the more explosive offense. They, uh, but they made mistakes, turned the ball over. Then I left to go to a Grace men's soccer game and um, found out afterwards that Nebraska lost 31-28. But there's been a lot of criticism. Apparently, Nebraska went up 28-17, maybe late in the third quarter. And uh, then after scoring, tried an onside kick, Mm. didn't get it. So Northwestern has this very short field, marches down the field, scores. It's 28-24 and they end up losing. Um, So certainly some pressure there on Scott Frost. But um, I mean the real season start, the real start of the season is this this weekend. There's a a couple of games I think Thursday night. There's a Penn State-Purdue game Thursday night, which should be pretty good. Ooh, yeah. And then of course Saturday, uh, the game that – is the highlight of week one and not just because my Buckeyes are playing in it, but it's the best matchup of the weekend, is Ohio State hosting Notre Dame. That will be a big game. I'm, I'm just looking through the games on Thursday right now. Yeah. Uh, the only West Virginia-Pittsburgh, oh, okay. that's a good rivalry. It is, yeah. They're right near each other. Yeah. The classic Ball State-Tennessee game. Don't sleep on those Cardinals. Um. Yeah, there's just not much. Yeah, let's see Friday. There's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's usually a few good games on that opening weekend, but most teams, most top level teams, they have a cupcake. Take a uh, a cupcake or two to start the year. Yeah, North Carolina at Appalachian State. Although North Carolina played and won. Oh, they already played UNC. Oh. Yeah, they're one and zero at least. Okay, as I'm as I'm flipping through here. So, um, so yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see 
what that Ohio State Notre Dame game looks like. The uh, I think the spread is I haven't checked in the last few days. It was somewhere the last time I checked around 12 and a half, 13, so pushing towards two touchdowns. Okay. Um, which and Notre Dame has a new coach, new coach, new starting quarterback, and um, they're they also got some injuries at some key spots. So hmm. uh, it would be in my mind, it'd be very disappointing if Ohio State doesn't win this game and cover that spread. Yeah. And, and Ohio State has a new defensive coordinator. New is that defensive right? coordinator, yes. So that'll be the intriguing piece on that side of the ball. How how quickly will they pick up the system and learn it and be able to implement it? Um, I think that uh, there'll, there'll probably be some growing pains hmm. along the way, but I think the talent's there. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go on record. I'm going to go with Ohio State winning. 38-21. 38-21. Okay. So a little over the spread. A little over the spread. Do you have a full season prediction for the Buckeyes? Yes. Um, I I am going to go with Ohio State running the table and making the college football playoff. Okay. Convincingly then. Because, you know, when you get a loss or uh, when you get well, one they, loss. If they, there, go, if they go undefeated, they will absolutely make the Right, right. So you're saying they're going to run the table zero losses. Until they get to the playoff. And then I think it kind of depends on matchups. I think it's hard to see beyond that. Yeah. You act like you're prophesying. <laughs> I'm looking into the future. I see I see an undefeated season, but the, the playoff is cloudy, very cloudy. Ohio State only has four road games this year. Really? Yeah. Okay, what are the four road games? Do you know them? They play um, at Michigan State. Okay. They play at Penn State. Okay. I feel like they're always at Penn State. It feels like that. Yeah. Uh, they are at, and then the other two. I'm I'm a little cloudier on. I, I want to say they're at. Oh, they're at Northwestern. I know that one. Okay. And I think they might be. I think at Purdue this year. There's one more in there that I'm missing. Maybe it's uh, it's either I think it's either Purdue, Rutgers, or Maryland are are away. Okay, one of those two, one of those three. Only four away games. My goodness. Well, so the conference schedule split, mm-hmm. and then you know if you have all your not all your non conference games at home, yeah, <laughs> it works out all right. Interesting. So uh, let's do a quick Mets update. Yeah, Mets uh, three games up in the division with the month of September to go. Okay. So, yeah, we got a series against the Dodgers early this week, and we end the season against the Braves at the end of the month. So Makes that'll sense. be that'll be some something to keep an eye on. Okay. Dodger one is a is a big one. This yeah, week. for sure. For so. sure. We ready to move on? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Our main topic for today is the beginning of a four part series. On different kinds of theology. And when we say that, what we mean is uh, different branches of sort of the academic study of mm-hmm. theology. Um, so uh, it's not that – I mean they're, they're all obviously interrelated sure, in the sense sure. that they're studying the same god. Right, uh, right. But, There's a lot of chocolate in my peanut butter sort of moments when yes. you're dealing with these so, different kinds of theologies. Yeah. So uh, the four we're going to focus on are uh, biblical theology, okay. historical theology, 
systematic theology and pastoral or practical theology. Yeah. And so um, we're going to take an episode on each of those and just kind of try to unpack what they are, how, how do they work, what what value or benefit do they have. And uh, to, just to be clear, this is not intended as a as something that's just for academically minded people either. We want we want anyone who listens to be able to understand these different kinds of theology and actually how they help uh, help the help the average ordinary believer mm-hmm. walk more faithfully with God. Yeah. So uh, let's start with biblical theology. This one's nearest and dearest to my heart because this is largely what I traffic in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Traffic in your dissertation was in it, you know, so, sort of. Yeah, um, yeah. Written a your, few, written a few things on it. Yeah, it's your favorite subject to teach as well. Yeah, for sure. So for sure, um, Doc. What do you say? Uh, we've got several definitions. Do we just want to read through each definition and comment on the definition a little bit, and then and then go from there? Yeah. Before we do that, um, I will just say, you know, someone might hear that term biblical theology and think. Well, isn't that just the theology of the Bible? Mm-hmm. And in one sense, the answer is, well, yes. <laughs> but uh, biblical theology as a as a term has taken on a, a more specialized use in terms of uh, what we mean by that when we talk about biblical theology, perhaps in contrast to some of these other forms of theology such as historical theology mm-hmm. and systematic and uh, pastoral. So. Um, why don't we – so we've got four different definitions here and uh, we'll use those as a springboard to talk a little bit more about what is biblical theology. OK. You want me to, you want me to take the first one here? Go for it. Uh, Geard Hartz – how do you pronounce that guy's name? Gerhardus. Gerhardus Voss. I was just calling Voss. <laughs> um, biblical theology is that branch of exegetical theology – which deals with the process of self of the self revelation of God deposited in the Bible. Okay, so that's probably the most um, generic mm-hmm. of these. Uh, Voss was one of the fathers of biblical theology in terms of its study as a as more of an academic discipline, but uh, his definition there helps us understand that it is uh, exegetically rooted that. That the the starting point for biblical theology is careful study of individual passages, and trying to trace out from that uh, the meaning of the text in relationship to other texts, with particular focus on um, sort of the the progressive nature of God's self revelation. In other words, that God reveals Himself and His plan for human history gradually over time. It's not all at, right at the beginning where you're like, here's everything that's going to happen. <laughs> it's it's gradually revealed over time and tracking that process, tracking the developments mm-hmm. within that is, is, a, is an important component of biblical theology. Yeah. Uh, that's the part that I had underlined, that this is a process of self-revelation, that, yeah. that biblical theology deals with the um, – Evolving and changing nature of, of things throughout Scripture and the way God has revealed Himself. Yeah. So even you know, just to give an example of this, um, if you read through Genesis and you start with what God promises to Abram 
in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Mm-hmm. And then you start to see uh, – you keep reading and you notice that that promise is repeated but expanded as you go. Yeah. So you know, at first it's like I'm going to make you uh, into a great nation. I'm going to multiply your descendants and I'm going to give you land. Okay. And then you're, you're like, oh, well, kings are going to come from your line. Oh, oh okay. that's a new wrinkle. That's a wrinkle right there. And so um, there are these progressive um, additions that take mm-hmm. place as God reveals more and more of his purposes along the way. And then ultimately how those things are accomplished as well as yes. part, of, part of biblical theology. Absolutely. Um, do you want me to read the second one or do you sure. want to? Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, Don Carson, better known as DA. Our, good, w- our good friend Don. Our good friend Don. Yeah. Uh, Reese's Pieces, man. <laughs> uh, inside joke, sorry. Uh, DA Carson says biblical theology uh, seeks to uncover and articulate the unity of of all the biblical text taken together, uh, resorting primarily to the categories of those of the those texts themselves. Okay. Yes. So, uh, two things in there. One is the focus on the unity of the biblical text. Mm-hmm. So, trying to track uh, even within these um, gradual developments and. Um, uh, additions that God makes along the way, revealing more and more. Um, there's still an emphasis on the unity of God's purposes in the Bible, his purposes for redemptive history, um, and trying to show how, for example, what God promises in Genesis forms the backdrop and is a, and is then developed in, say, 2 Samuel mm-hmm. or in Matthew or things like that. So tracking the unity. And one of the um, one of the things that, uh, that will come up elsewhere here, but this we can mention it here, is um, a big part of biblical theology is tracing the storyline of the Bible. Yeah, there's a narrative feature to it. Yes, that from Genesis to Revelation, there is a coherent narrative, a storyline that uh, creates cohesion across the canon. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of what he's getting at there with that that sense of unity. Um, And then the second part of that definition, uh, the categories of those texts themselves. And this is uh, is an important distinction to make. Um, So biblical theology tends to to try to focus on the categories that the biblical text itself presents us with. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit in contrast to systematic theology, which does that plus uses categories that perhaps are not explicit in the biblical text but are more um, inferred Mm -hmm. or even just logical outworkings of what is in the text. So that might make a little bit more sense when we get to systematic theology. Sure. But um, yeah, I think think that's that's a key. You're trying to – as much as you're able to allow the Bible to set its own terms, its own categories, its own trajectory on these things. Yeah. All right. We ready for our next one? Sure. All right. Uh, Tom Schreiner. Good guy. Yeah. We like Tom. We like Tom. Uh, Biblical theology asks what themes are central to the biblical writers in their historical context and attempts to discern the coherence of such themes. 
Yeah, so this definition helps us see that um, in addition to the storyline uh, aspect of biblical theology, there is a thematic element mm -hmm. where you are looking at key themes in Scripture and seeing how they are developed throughout the course of the canon. So, for example, you know, uh, like the, the theme of, say, God's presence or temple or tabernacle. You see, if you if you trace that, you know, you've got that beginning in the garden with God's immediate presence. That's broken because of Adam and Eve's sin. God mm -hmm. gives the tabernacle to Israel as a physical place where his presence is manifested. That's eventually replaced by the temple. And then, of course, that's destroyed. And then the ultimate culmination of that theme is God taking on flesh and tabernacling or dwelling among us in the person of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of one of those key themes that runs throughout the canon. And part of the task of biblical theology is to trace that and how it develops and expands as well as how it relates to other themes uh, alongside that. Well, and I, th I think in that theme, I think we get to th uh, the church eventually. You know, if you, if you continue to carry it on yeah. – uh, after Jesus has ascended, you get to the church, and then you ultimately get to uh, Revelation, mm -hmm. right, where God has come and dwelled again uh, in, in uh, the New Jerusalem. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, – and again, this is also where you're looking at the relationship between those themes. So that theme is connected to God's promise to Abraham to give him uh, a place to live, land, and people, descendants. Uh, God also promises him his presence with him. So you're looking at how these themes are interrelated as you're tracing them through the canon. Yeah. All right. Are we ready for our next definition? Two more. Two more. Yep. Uh, Stephen Wellam. These next two are a little longer. Okay. Are you warning me? As, uh, as I'm warning our audience. Okay. Okay. You okay. can handle it. I I don't think that's true, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, biblical theology. Are you going to tell who the, whose definition this is? Stephen Wellam. I said yeah. Wellam. Did you? I believe so. Yeah. Did Stephen you have Wellam. him when you were at Southern for your Never. year of exile? Nope. Okay. Nope. I think he he might have been on sabbatical that year okay. or I just didn't take him. One of the two. He's a good dude. I really like uh, him. Stephen Wellam. Biblical theology contends that to read the Bible as – Unified scripture is not just one interpretive option among others, but that which best corresponds to the nature of the text itself, given its divine inspiration. As such, biblical theology as a discipline not only provides the basis for understanding how text in one part of the scripture relate to all other texts, but it also serves as the basis and underpinning for all theologizing. There you go. It's a good okay. word, theologizing. It is a good word. So uh, this pulls in some of the stuff that's already been mentioned. But um, again, you see a desire to allow the Bible to set its own terms, its own uh, sort of categories. Uh, he emphasizes the nature of divine inspiration, mm -hmm. which is key. I agree. Yeah. Um, that – Inherent to biblical theology is a, a view of scripture that sees uh, God as the ultimate author of all the 66 books of the Bible without in any way compromising the human authorship of those. Mm -hmm. 
And so the the divine inspiration is part of what gives the Bible its unity across different parts of the canon. And um, I, I think he's right that in one sense, biblical theology is the foundation for all other forms of theology, especially the ones we're going to talk about in the series to come. Yeah. But um, it's – yeah, it's – uh, I'm not sure I have anything else to add there. Let's uh, let's move on to the last one here from our from our our friend Jim Hamilton. Jim Hamilton. Uh, to summarize, which clearly this has come <laughs> after a lengthy uh, uh, description uh, by the phrase biblical theology, I mean to refer to the interpretive perspective reflected in the ways the biblical authors have presented their understanding of earlier scripture redemptive history, and the events they are describing, recounting, celebrating, or addressing in narratives, poems, proverbs, letters, and apocalypses. There you go. Nicely done. Thank you. Yeah, so a few things are are somewhat distinctive about Jim's uh, definition there, the interpretive perspective. So he uh, wants to get at what were the guiding assumptions and beliefs and practices that that informed how later writers of scriptures interpreted earlier parts of scripture, guided by the Spirit, of course. Um, also, he is explicit in terms of the the importance of earlier scripture, that later biblical authors, as inspired by God, were looking at earlier texts mm-hmm. and were interpreting by the guidance of the Spirit um, and relating what God was saying to them now with what God had said to his people before. And I think that's, a, I think, an important clarifying moment. We're not simply going New Testament authors reading Old Testament text. Correct. We could be talking about a later Old Testament author reading something of an earlier Old Testament author. Absolutely. Or a later New Testament author reading an early New Testament author. Yes. As well as across. Old and New Testament. Yes, absolutely. Um, that that is one of the areas where um, I, I think is is so fruitful in understanding. If you want to understand how your Bible fits together, look at how later authors of Scripture interact with earlier texts of Scripture and how they are um, interpreting them, explaining them, etc. Um, you know. Here's a very, very brief example. I don't have time to unpack this. Go buy the commentary. It's in there. Wow. A couple plugs for books today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, Tom Schreiner has a Hebrews commentary. Also, I have a Galatians one in the same series, you know. But anyway, go ahead. That's right. Um, so in Galatians 4, the whole Hagar, Sarah, quote unquote, allegory. Fascinating passage. Super yeah. confusing. Well, he starts off that passage by talking about how Abraham had two sons and he's kind of giving a little summary of Genesis 16 through 21. And then he uh, quotes Isaiah 54 verse 1. And so what Paul is essentially doing is he's saying, I'm looking at Genesis 16 through 21 through the lens of Isaiah 54 verse 1 and surrounding context. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Isaiah – what Isaiah and that surrounding context is doing is looking back at Genesis already. 
So he's just following in the footsteps of Isaiah and adding one more layer based on the fact that Christ has come. Hmm. So there, there, there are these um, networks of texts that biblical authors will draw upon where it's not just, oh, I want to quote this particular text. It's often a – I'm pu- pulling one text out of a network of texts hmm. that talk about that idea or that promise or that concept. And that's by Lexham, that commentary. Is that correct? Yes. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then the last part of his definition that I want to hit on is um, he he mentions specific genres, narrative, poems, proverbs, uh, letters, apocalypses. And that's just to recognize that uh, God communicates through a diversity of of literature and um, not every form of literature uh, has the same – way of contributing. Mm-hmm. Um, each has a contribution to make, but when it comes to how you account for that, that's part of uh, allowing the Bible itself to speak on its own terms in terms of this is a poem, this is a proverb, this is a psalm, this is a prophetic narrative, this is a prophetic poem. This is, you know, there's all these different genres. And so the starting point has to be interpreting them properly within their original context and making sure that you're not trying to force a proverb to make a statement like an epistle would. Yeah. Okay. So those are some different angles um, on biblical theology. Um, I I feel like we've kind of hit that on how it differs from other forms of theology. That will come out more as we go – uh, in these next few episodes. So I wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about what are some practical ways to do biblical theology. And and I, what I really want to focus on here is not sort of the academic practice of it or how we train future pastors here at Grace to do this mm-hmm. because that involves working in the languages and all these sorts of things. And there's some more technical, detailed stuff that we uh, – I mean that, that's the secret sauce we offer here, yeah. right, in the classes. <laughs> But I'm talking about the the ordinary person who's like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not going to be preaching or anything. Like, can I do biblical theology? So that's what I want to start with here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I'll, I'll throw out my two cents here. I, I, I think um, before being exposed to some of these ideas, I think I read each book and passage so, sort of on its own. You know, you know, sort of isolated from other books and other other letters and. Quotes and those sorts of things were interesting, but but nothing more than that. It's just, hey, I'm going to use this proof text basically to prove a point. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think when you begin to view things this way as a self-revelation that's being developed throughout the history of redemption, mm-hmm. I think you see your Bible a bit more tied together. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it turns more into, in, into a bit of a tapestry. And it, I think one simple way to do this is to just, as you read your Bible, check the cross-references, mm-hmm. check those sorts of things, say, huh, that phrasing is similar to something else. Um, yes. Uh, and, and then go read that passage and see what light that kind of sheds on the passage in the New Testament or in the Old Testament and, and play that back-and-forth game. I think those cross-references are really there to help us Absolutely. at the end of the day. Absolutely. And, uh, and can be a powerful way to do uh, – even armchair biblical theology, yeah. if I can coin that term. <laughs> yes. Um, and in particular, when you do come across – and some translations set these apart. Uh, when you do come across 
where a New Testament author quotes an Old Testament verse, um, by all means, make sure you go back and look at that Old Testament yeah. passage and not just the, the individual verse, but like read the surrounding chapter and just sort of see what the larger context is. And oftentimes you will notice that there are all these little connection points between that Old Testament chapter and the New Testament passage you're looking at that that are being pulled out and pulled upon by the fact that he's just quoted one individual verse out of that chapter. Yeah, I, I remember I remember I was in a uh, Romans use of the Old Testament class, hmm. which was fascinating. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, one of the conclusions we kind of landed on was that Paul – and we, we're not totally sure what to do with this, but Paul uses a number of uh, psalms of lament mm-hmm. uh, in the midst of Romans uh, to communicate his message. And that was that was really striking uh, yeah. to, to us as a class. And, and Provided a lot of good, fruitful conversation and reflection from those in the class, and that, that was that was really wonderful. Yeah. Uh, two other things. Uh, the next one I'll go with is um, learn to recognize key themes in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the easiest ways to do this is um, there's a series of books. That's called Essential Studies in Biblical Theology. It is uh, a 10-volume uh, – uh, well, it will eventually be a 10-volume set. Only 10? Yes. I wow. think they might do another round, but that was the initial goal. OK. Uh, ben Glad is the editor. And um, each volume in that series by a different author and they trace a, a different theme throughout the canon. And they're intentionally written at, an, at a more of an entry level so that anyone can pick them up and read them, not just um, you know, someone who's an academic. OK. So, so Ben has a, has a volume in that. Alexander T.D. Alexander has a volume in that. That's yeah, Face to Face with God mm-hmm. by T.D. Alexander. Um, uh, Michael Morales has one on uh-huh. Exodus, um, which is a major theme, both old and new Exodus. Sure. Um, Ben's is on Adam – Adam and Israel his. and the church or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I think that sounds right. Um, and then um, I have one in oh, there. Oh, <laughs> you do. <laughs> I do. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Um, yes. Mine we, on, we did an interview of you for yeah, that. Yeah, we did. On, that's, on pod. that's my book, um, yeah. Rebels and Exiles, mm-hmm. a, a biblical theology of sin and restoration. Not Rebels in Exile, which no. is what I think I said on the podcast. Uh, no yeah. worries. Uh, that's a great series to get an idea of what some of those uh, key themes are and to see how they're traced Mm -hmm. throughout the canon. Um, And then uh, my last recommendation, read large chunks of scripture. Mm -hmm. Too often we just read a verse, a couple of verses, a paragraph, or even just a chapter at a time. Yeah. Read big chunks. Like sit down and, and spend a half hour or 45 minutes reading through an entire book of the, of the Bible. You could read through probably most books of the Bible in less than an hour if yeah. you sat down and just read them straight through. There is something about that sort of big picture reading through where you start to pick up, wow, it keeps like, man, I didn't see this before, but he keeps talking about this theme of God's presence or about the tabernacle or about sacrifices or whatever it might be, that if you're reading larger chunks, you see that as opposed to, well, I read my chapter for the day and then it's 24 hours later 
and then I read my next chapter. Sure. You're you're probably going to miss a lot of those. Or you're following your plan of two to three chapters a day. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, I would strongly recommend reading those larger chunks of scripture uh, in 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 longer settings. I I've found personally when I have a change of schedule, reading larger sections of scripture can be really doable. Like um, like if I'm on vacation, mm-hmm. um, like like a, just changing. Uh, uh, the, the change in schedule allows me to be able to do a little bit more of that. So, so I like a both-and approach for, for those things. Absolutely. So we need to get moving, but uh, we've got several resources listed in the uh, – we'll have them in the show notes. I do want to highlight uh, two in particular. Uh, we've already mentioned the Essential Studies in Biblical Theology series. Um, I want to mention in terms of a book – Probably the simplest and easiest to read introduction is Jim Hamilton's book, What is Biblical Theology? A Guide to the Bible's Story, Symbolism, and Patterns. It might be 100 pages. Super accessible, very readable. Hmm. Um, We mentioned the Essential Studies in Biblical Theology. That's a series. Another series is Short Studies in Biblical Theology. That's a crossway series that has books that are like anywhere between 100 to 125, 150 pages on a different theme of the Bible. Uh, That's also well worth checking out. And then the last one that I'll mention specifically is another podcast. It's the Bible Talk podcast Ah. that is a Nine Marks podcast where uh, Jim Hamilton, whom we just mentioned, and uh, Sam Amati are literally going chapter by chapter through the Bible and talking about the biblical theology in that text and how it connects to larger themes and other parts of Scripture. And they just finished, I think, they're, they're through the Pentateuch now. So I've been meaning to go back and listen to this podcast for forever. I haven't done it yet. So it's a – and they'll take – early in the series, they do smaller chunks because, you know, those first few gen- chapters of Genesis are so foundational. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But now they're at a point where they're doing you know four or five chapters at a time, oftentimes as they're getting through Deuteronomy or things like that. So sure, um, highly recommend it. It's very engaging. Um, it's not a dry academic lecture. It's very conversational, but very substantive. If you're in a position where you're going to end up preaching or teaching on any of those books that they've already done, you would greatly benefit from listening to them. Uh, talk about those chapters and help you to see how they connect to the larger narrative of Scripture. Well, there's a lot more I'd love to say on that, but um, I think we need to move on. Are you ready to move on, John? I think so, yeah. Okay, let's do Today in Sports History. Okay, so this drops on August 30th, 2022. Where has the time gone, Matt? Where has it gone? Anyway, uh, today, uh, 1905, the Detroit Tigers' future baseball Hall of Fame center fielder Ty Cobb makes his MLB debut, doubling off Jack Chesbro. Sure. In a 5-3 win over the New York Highlanders. Is that a precursor to either? At Bennett Park. Of, of the New York franchises now? I have no clue. Um, the Yankees would have been around in 1905, I think. Yeah, so, so – but – so it wasn't the Mets. There wasn't a precursor to the Mets no, or the, the Giants. Maybe the Giants. Maybe well, they were a, Brooklyn, weren't they? No, they were the New York Giants. 
They weren't the Brooklyn Giants. Brooklyn Dodgers. Dodgers is what I'm thinking of. So the Mets are really uh, the Giants and Dodgers left town, and they put the colors together and made the Mets. Okay. Um, I don't. I've never heard of the Highlanders before. Huh. Okay. But there can only be one, right? Um, <laughs> 1910. Uh, Yankee Tom Hughes pitches nine no-hit innings, but loses. To Cleveland, 5-0 in 11 innings. How do you lose 5 nothing? Like, well, how I, many people do you walk? Or how many errors were there? Well, it's got to it's – I imagine he gave up no runs and then they went into extras. They threw I, in a reliever I don't and know. he gave up five runs I, in the 11th. I'll just do more, more, more research on that. We'll get our crack staff on that. Be, because to go into extras, it'd have to be 0-0. Zero, zero. Ah, yes. Right? Okay, there you go. That's um, tough. Yeah, that's tough for Tommy. Tommy Hughes. <laughs> Uh, 1987, Kirby Puckett goes six for six with two home runs. Wow, two home runs, six for six. Uh, in Minnesota, 10-6 win over Milwaukee. Yeah. He was fun to watch, Kirby Puckett. He was probably a little bit before your time. Well, I was born the year after this took place. I think he retired when you would have been like maybe the start of – like what was that mid-90s maybe he would have retired? So like – Really before you probably had a real significant awareness of, of baseball. Um, 06. There's a guy I know. Yeah. Greg Maddox wins his 330th career game. Yeah. Who's going to do that again? I think Tom Glavin won 300 games after he did. Right. But I'm, ta- I'm talking about after that generation of, you know. No one. Like the way that baseball works now is like no one is going to get there. No one. No one's going to win 300 games again unless yeah. something radically changes about the nature of baseball. No one's going to win 300 games. Again. Unless they start going off quality starts. <laughs> Probably. Um, you got a yeah. preference there? Um, my goodness. Uh, they're all baseball. Yeah. We'll get to football soon. Yeah. I love Greg. I loved watching Greg Maddox pitch. Um, he was a – are you familiar with how much of a goofball he yeah. is? Yeah. I mean I've heard stories of him and John Smoltz lived in the same community – and Maddox would follow Smoltz to work and just bump his bumper at every red light on the way to the stadium uh, until Smoltz's bumper fell off when they arrived at the stadium. <laughs> Let's go with Greg Maddox then. I like Greg. OK. Yeah. One thing you liked. Uh, so I am 95 percent of the way through a book, an audio book that I've really enjoyed and uh, and I think it's I think it's a, a weird niche book, but I was pretty excited about it. Uh, How Adam Smith can change your life: <laughs> an unexpected guide to human nature and happiness. So the father of capitalism. Yes, yes, and apparently he wrote. So it's this author's reflection on a older book that Adam Smith wrote, and okay. he's like, "Oh my goodness, there's so much in here," and he just sort of basically has reflections on that book, and it was really enjoyable. Okay. How Adam Smith Can Change Your Life by Russ Roberts. Russ Roberts. Russ Roberts. Yeah, we, I was listening to his podcast and so went and found a book of his. We need to get a link to that in the, uh, in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, How Adam Smith you can, can, change, better, yeah. can Change Your Life. <laughs> Do I have to give my, put my faith and trust in Adam Smith in order for that to happen or? No, no, no. Okay. It's a guide, an, okay. an unexpected guide. Okay. Just, just making sure that it won't compete with my loyalty to Jesus there. I don't think so. Not if you're doing it right. <laughs> okay. Uh, mine is also a book. It's a book by Mark Thompson. It's entitled 
The Doctrine of Scripture, an introduction. So it's part of the series Short Studies in Systematic Theology that Crossway is doing. It is excellent. Really? Very readable. Hmm. Lots of uh, good quotes from across church history to help you understand what a faithful doctrine of Scripture looks like. Um, it's about 160, 170 pages, but eminently readable. Hmm. So I very much enjoyed that. Okay. Um, in fact, I finished it and then I texted our theology prof and said, have you heard of this book? You need to get this. And uh, he went ahead and ordered it. All right. Let me see if I... I'm trying to see if I can find it on my Scribd app. Oh, good check. Yeah. Um, speaking of script, by the way, before we wrap this up, are you familiar with the name Adrian Goldsworthy? Yes. Historian. Yeah, yeah. He did the Caesar biography. Yes. We also did one on uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra and then did one on um, Augustus. Yeah. I find him pretty readable. Yeah. Those are on script. I've done the Caesar biography. It's and quite they're good. also audiobook versions yeah, on, yeah. on script. So those are excellent. I've, I've read the Caesar book in print. And I haven't read the other ones yet. I'm waiting to finish the History of Rome podcast before I jump back into that. You enjoying it? I am. I am. He does a really nice job. He does. He he has a new podcast. Did you know that? Maybe you told me this. Well, what, what is it? Revolutions, where he walks through different revolutions. Uh, English Revolution, American Revolution, okay. French Revolution, Russian, I think is again now. Yes. Um, well, we got to wrap this thing up. It's going yeah, way we've, we've too gone way long. too long. We have talked um, – uh, college football. We have talked biblical theology. We have talked uh, Greg Maddox. And we've talked several books that we enjoy. And so I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And all that's left to say is until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.